Well, hello. Um, my name's Matt. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here at Hope City. It's my great privilege to get to speak to you this morning and uh, explore together a little bit of what the Bible has to say. And I wanted to, I wanted to just start by asking, do you remember Indiana Jones? Who remembers Indiana Jones? Danger on every side. The man who escapes trap after trap. This Christmas, I tried to persuade some of my family to watch The Temple of Doom. Uh, tip for you, if you have young children, you do not want to watch The Temple of Doom. That is the one you do not want to watch. And I've learned that. Um, but he, he escapes trap after trap. And this, this, this picture here is actually from the, the Indiana Jones show at Disney. And Disney have this little kind of demonstration of how they do some of the stunts of, uh, of Indiana Jones. We were there a, a while back. It's really cool. We, we're working our way as a church through Luke's Gospel. If you've never heard of Luke's Gospel, it's one of the books that the Bible is made of. The Bible's like a library of books. One of the books is the story of Jesus as told by a guy called Luke, a doctor called Luke. We've been going step by step through that. And today we get to see Jesus like dodge a series of traps, Indiana Jones style. There are like spikes coming up through the... There's not spikes coming up through the floor, but there are traps. There there are traps that would see him dead and he dodges them and will be wowed by his skills and his dexterity. That'll be really cool. But there is more that we can get out of this than just enjoying watching him maneuver like Indy. Like, like Jesus dodges the traps, outpaces his opponents. Um, he teaches his disciples and he teaches us some big and significant lessons. We're going to focus on just one lesson but Kirsty's going to come and read for us first. We're in the Bible. If you've got one of these blue Bibles, we're in the book of Luke, chapter 20. It's page 1055, page 1055. And then you're looking for chapter 20. It's a big number 20. And then you're looking for verse 20. That's a tiddly tiny number 20 over there. Page 1055. Thanks, Kirsty. Starting from verse 20. Oh, and I was going to say, by the way, the they who it speaks about here are Jesus's opponents. Keeping a close watch on him, they, the teachers of the law and the chief priests, sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him. Teacher. We know that you speak and teach what is right, that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, show me a denarius, whose image and inscription are on it? Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he said there in public. And astonished by his answer, they became silent. Some of the Sadducees, who say that there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us, that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second and then the third married her. And in the same way, the seven died, leaving no children. 
Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise. For he calls the Lord, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Some of the teachers of the law responded, Well said, teacher. And no one dared to ask him any more questions. Then Jesus said to them, Why is it that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David calls himself Lord. How then can he be his son? Thanks very much, Kirsty, And thanks very much for listening through. That's a, it's a long section, and I am just not going to be able to do that justice this morning. So we're going to focus in on, on a shorter section of that. And it, it starts out with... Jesus' opponents are sending spies to trap him. Why? Because they want to hand him over to the governor, it says. That's code for they want him dead. Uh, The religious authorities who set themselves against Jesus, they're important. They're powerful in his day, but they don't have enough power to put people to uh, death. They don't have the right to actually kill people. They need the Romans, who are the kind of ruling authority, to do that for them. So they send spies to trick Jesus into saying something that's going to get him into trouble with the authorities. And the passage goes to great pains to make sure we see through these spies. It calls them spies, for starters, right? So it's like, these guys are the bad guys. But then, verse 20 says, they pretended to be sincere. They're not really asking these questions. They don't care about these things. They want to trap him. Verse 21, they they gush flattery worthy of any salesman. It's like the guy at the car carriage. Oh, I see that you are a connoisseur of fine automotive engineering. I can see that you're a man with taste. They're like, all this flattery comes out. Luke, our writer, wants us to be sure we see right through them. Verse 23 tells us that Jesus also saw through their duplicity. He sees the trap, Indiana Jones style. He dodges it too. And the trap is a question of taxes. The Romans who are ruling over Jerusalem back in the first century when all this takes place, when this is playing out, they're pretty relaxed in general. People mostly get to kind of carry on with their own things, so long as it doesn't cause too much trouble. But the Romans are not at all relaxed about people messing with their taxes. No, 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 because taxes go direct to the Roman ruler, Caesar. If Jesus were even to suggest that perhaps, maybe, just possibly, paying Roman taxes was maybe not the right thing to do after all, well, that would be seriously bad. Uh, In fact, that is exactly what they'll accuse him of doing before the Roman authorities in just a few days to get him killed. Luke 23, 2, if you want to look ahead to that. But on the other hand... The taxes were super unpopular with the people. And I think you can understand that if you think about it. I mean, I just paid our taxes. 
And uh, any other last-minute self-assessors out there? It was the 31st of January. It was the last moment to pay your taxes. Deadline was Friday, so if you didn't pay, you missed it. Um, I, I just paid our taxes, and it would be fair to say I did not love doing that. Roman taxes were far more unpalatable than that because the Romans are like this global superpower who have swanned in, conquered the known world, and now they're squeezing it for money. So imagine this. Imagine for a moment that... The U.S. just decides to invade Europe because, because why not? And they invade Europe with a massive, overwhelming military force, and they take over all these different countries, and then they demand every single one of you, every person, pays taxes personally to Mr. Trump. That'd be pretty unpopular, right? That'd be fairly unpopular. And I guess the spies are figuring, well, Jesus, as a man of the people... As a man the crowds love, Jesus isn't going to want to say anything that's going to upset the people. So they think they've got him. They think he's going to say, no, don't pay those taxes. It'd be a terrible idea to pay those taxes, and then the Romans are going to kill him. Or they think they're going to say, do pay those taxes. Everyone's going to say, well, we hate the Romans. Get lost, Jesus. That's their cunning, cunning trap. But Jesus knows exactly how to dodge this trap. Show me a denarius, he says. Show me a denarius. It's an ancient Roman coin. And he says, whose image and whose inscription are on it? Well, it's fairly obvious. They're like Caesars. They have to answer. It's undeniable. It's obvious to everyone. Then Jesus drops one of his famous one-liners. And it's a beauty. It silences opponents, sidesteps their trap. Uh, he He says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. Well, well, when he starts thinking, starts speaking, everyone's got to be thinking, got him. Give back to Caesar what's Caesar's. Well, what's Caesar's? He's got his head on it. It's Caesar's. He must be Caesar's coin. Give the coins back to Caesar. Pay, pay the tax. That must be what Jesus is saying. They start rubbing their hands. They're like, Jesus is a collaborator. That's what it is. Jesus, Jesus is on the side of the oppressors. Yes, the people aren't going to like this at all. Oh, poor Jesus. The people aren't going to like this. But Jesus carries on. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Uh Uh-oh. Hang on. Give back to Caesar what's Caesar's and give back to God what is God's. What does that mean? How do you do both at the same time? And just like that, Jesus has dodged their trap. He's out of there. He's safe and clear. Verse 26. Astonished by his answer, they became silent. He's out of the trap. His opponents are silenced. Jesus shows himself far beyond them. It's like watching Indiana Jones in any trap sequence. You know he is not going to get impaled or crushed or run down or anything else. He's not going to. You can't get him. That's not how it works. But that's just one half of the story here because Jesus has also given us a pretty profound instruction. I guess the question is, what exactly does this mean? Give back to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what's God's. As I've been researching this passage over the last couple of weeks, I can tell you a lot of ink has been spilled trying to figure out how precisely these two parts of Jesus' instructions go together. How do you give to Caesar and give to God at the same time? I can tell you because I had to read a bunch of it. Uh, If you want to hear more, then I'll say this morning. And I can't say enough this morning because there's too much to say about these texts. We publish a short video midweek. Uh, We give a deep dive into the research, the background reading. We call it T5, talking through the text in 10 or 
slightly more than 10, typically. Um, T5, uh, and it's often a wee bit more than 10 minutes because there's a lot to think about in most Bible passages. We publish that to our Facebook group. We push it out in our email. If you want to get on either of those things, come and ask me and we'll get you. But if you want more detail, that's where to look. Let me share with you two things that are really clear on the surface right away. First, pretty much everyone agrees Jesus is not calling for a revolution. Uh, He's not instructing an uprising against the authorities. He could have done that here. He could have said rebel against the Romans and a bunch of people would have cheered. But he didn't do that here. There's a role for the state. In fact, elsewhere in the Bible, Paul, who is one of Jesus's first followers, explicitly tells us that we should pay our taxes. It's in the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 6, if you want to find that one. So, So I did pay my taxes and you should pay your taxes too for the avoidance of doubt. But second... And I think this one packs quite a lot more punch. In dodging the trap, Jesus also sets out God's claim on our lives. Sets out God's claim on our lives in a pretty profound way. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And that's what we're going to spend most of our time thinking about this morning. Considering the big questions of why should we give anything back to God? And then, well, okay, how? Could we do that? So let's start with why. Now, why do you need to give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar? Well, I'll tell you, it's pretty straightforward because if you don't, he'll kill you. Uh, Or if he won't kill you, at least he's going to throw you into a very unpleasant prison. There's nothing like a big stick to make you do something you don't want to do, right? HMRC, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, well, they're pretty good at sending threatening letters in brown envelopes. We've forgot one of those. Uh, they don't stop at letters. If you keep on not paying your taxes, they will ultimately put you away. But on the flip side, if you pay your taxes, nice things happen. Who is familiar with um, what have the Romans ever done for us? I really wanted to play this sketch, but there is no time for it this morning. The People's Front of Judea in uh, one of the Monty Python films, classic Monty Python, um, they ask, what have the Romans ever done for us? The, 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 the leader of this kind of rebel group says, and then people start one by one coming up with things that actually the Romans have done for them. Well, there is, there is the aqueducts. Oh, oh, yeah, and then, and then peace and security. I like peace and security. Oh, law, law and order, like law and order, wine. The Romans brought wine. Nice roads, baths, candy, you know, there's the, all these things the Romans have done. Rome actually did deliver a fairly good set of things with this empire uh, through the taxes that were raised. And do you know what happens when you pay taxes to our state? It does some pretty good things too. You pay for the NHS. You support those who are unable to work. You pay for education. Sure, I know there are questionable parts, but good things happen. So here's two reasons to give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. Because first, if you don't, he's going to whack you. And second, if you do, nice things are going to happen. So here's the question. Why, why give to God? What's your first thought? Because if I don't, he's going to whack me, right? Prison, death, worse. And if I do give back to God, maybe he'll smile on me and give me some nice things happening. If that's how we think uh, about why we should give to God, if that's how you're thinking, if that's how you are living, and I think a lot of us live that way, even though we would claim we understand things differently, when we dig down to the motivations that actually see us do things, I think we'll find often this really drives us. There's a big truth we have to get our heads around. It's not, this is not the reason that we should give back to God. This is not how it works. This is the wrong why. Not because he'll whack you if you don't, and he'll be good to you if you do. 
Let me tell you why. Um, Because I want you to notice the word Jesus uses here, precisely what he asks us to do. Look closely. He says, give back to God. Luke's gospel is originally written in Greek, uh, ancient Greek, and uh, the, the word used here is apodidomai. Um, it's a very specific, precise word. There's not a lot of question about what it means. It means repay, return, give back. It has that returning sense to it. So if you're going to return, repay, give something back, what does that mean? It means it wasn't yours. It wasn't yours to begin with. It belongs to somebody else. So I want to tell you why we should give to God is because we belong to him. Because you're his. You're his because he made you. You're his because he made you his. And I want to walk you through why we think that way. Bible tells us in the beginning God made everything. Right? He made the world. He made life. He made the creatures. He made us. God, it tells us that God made us special. In all of creation, special in that we bear his image, like that Roman coin bore Caesar's image. He made a special impression on us, kind of pressed down into us like that. You can imagine that. He made his mark on us. Humanity is like nothing else in all creation because we're made in his likeness, because we're unique, we're special. Now, you might be here this morning and you might think, I do not believe that. That is ridiculous. And if you're, if you're thinking that way, I'm really glad you're here. I'm, I'm glad you're hearing me out. It's very kind of you. But here's what I want you to do. I want to invite you to try that idea on. Try out a thought experiment with me, okay? Just imagine, if this were true, what would the results be? If this were true, if you were thinking this way, where would it lead you? Well, first, if you did have a creator, then you belong to that creator. Like, if I were to compose a song, it would be my song. It would be a bad song. Um, but it would be my song, nonetheless. It would be mine. I could, I, you know, I could, uh, th- th- that's why we could start to make sense of how um, we are giving back to God. He makes us. We are his. We belong to him. That's why we could give back. We have something he's given us, something which wasn't ours to begin with, something we can return. But more than that, our, our creator would actually have rights over us. If you make something, you've got a degree of control over it. I want you to behave this way. I don't want you to behave that way. You can do that with things you have control over. He could say that. It would be as right as our creator. That's the story the Bible tells us. God set out a way for his creatures to live, and they didn't do it. And we don't do it. We acted like we belonged to nobody. We acted like I'm my own master and commander. We said, I am free to do what I want any old time. We said, talk to the hand, to God. To the God who made us, the God to whom we belong. This, this is where the good news of Christianity cuts in. That same God, the God we tried to disown, the God we tried to leave behind, the one we tried to walk away, loved us enough to come after us and to offer us a way back that we're made for. He did that through Jesus, this Jesus that we're reading about, this Jesus in this passage that we read about who is unique, who is called Lord. When we claimed we didn't belong to God and walked away, we walked into a whole world of trouble. We made the mess that we live in. A trouble that's going to cost God a lot to get us out of, but he loved us enough to do it. The Bible speaks about how God purchased us with the blood of his own son. It pictures how Jesus' blood was going to be spilt as he died on the cross. And through that cross we could come to belong to God again. So as we think about Jesus' call to give back to God, it's not so he doesn't whack us. He loves us enough to purchase us with his own blood. 
Why would he whack us after doing that? It doesn't make any sense. It's not so nice things happen. Though, to be fair, the Bible does say that ultimately nice things happen. The reason we should give back to God is because we belong to him. Because of creation. Because of Jesus' costly rescue, his purchase of us. We belong to him. That's why. So let me talk a little bit about how. How can we give back to God? Well, let's start at the sharp end, shall we? We can give him our wallet. This is not a stretch from what you've read here. This is not some sly manipulation of Jesus' words. Jesus starts out talking about money. Even though he talks about so much more, he starts with money. So we've got to talk about money, even though we're British and it's awkward. Um, Give back makes total sense when it comes to money. Here's why. If I belong to God... Lock, stock, and barrel. Well, how much of my money belongs to God? All of it. Who gave me breath? Who made me able to do anything? Who gave me talents? Who gave me opportunities? Who gave me connections? So any money we give to God is just giving back. You can't do better than give back to God. But I'm afraid painful as it is, talking about your wallet is just the start. How do we give back to God supersized? You can give him your life. That is exactly what it means when we call him Lord. That's what it really should do when we take that step. Give him your life. This kind of Christianese language that we often like to use, that sometimes we don't quite get our heads around what it means. But I want to be clear, this is not just inviting him into your life. It is giving him control over your life. For most of us, this takes time, right? This is the journey of being a follower of Jesus. It's hard to give him your life. I don't want to. I want some back. It's a journey which I think most of us are still on, one which takes a lifetime. I want to give you a good way of thinking about this. So I want you to imagine with me that these two chairs are a lovely, shiny new car. What sort of car? You can picture any car you like. How about a nice, shiny red car? And I'm going to need a volunteer. Got any volunteers here? Come on, Tim. I know you want to be my volunteer. That's fantastic. And Tim... This is your car. Have a seat in your car, Tim. Uh, here's the wheel. <clears throat> Tim's got the wheel in his car. This is good. Uh, it, this car is his life, and uh, he's got the wheel. He, he can go where he wants to go. Which way are you going to go, left or right? Steer. He's going right. Okay. Do you want to go faster? He's going faster. Do you want to go slower? He's going slower. He's, he's got the wheel in his life. He can go where he wants to go. He can go as fast as he wants to. He can turn when he wants to. He can stop when he wants to. How do you picture becoming a Christian? What's it like to become a follower of Jesus? Is it, is it how about this, opening the door and saying, okay, you can come in. Is it, is it like that? Is that what it means to become a follower of Jesus? Well, I'll tell you why it's not. Who's got the wheel? Who's controlling when we turn, when we stop? When we stop? Well, what does it look like to become a follower of Jesus actually? Do you know what it looks like? It looks like, here, take the wheel. You want to say that, Tim? (laughs) Now I've got the wheel. Thanks very much, Tim. That's awesome. Now I've got the wheel. In... uh in our house, we have some new drivers, and I can tell you that new drivers, first time sitting in a car next to a new driver, is uh, when you're used to having the wheel, it's pretty terrifying, right? Uh, you know, you stamp on the floor, but alas, there are no pedals. You, you, you swerve to dodge the central reservation, but you have no wheel. It can, be, it can be pretty scary not to have the wheel, but here's the thing. When you give Jesus the wheel in your life, do you know who you're giving it to? The stig. 
the super stick. That's who you're giving the wheel to. Although it might be white knuckle sometimes, right? It might be so bumpy. You think this car is going to fall apart. Although you're worried that you don't know where you're going or how you're going to get there or how on earth you're going to get past this next part of the journey. Ultimately, he is going to take you on the most glorious adventure that anyone could ever possibly have with your life. That's his plan because he loves you. He died for you. He bought you back. It's his beloved car, his treasured possession. That's what you're like. He doesn't want to crash you into the wall. That is not what he wants to do with his treasured possession that he's just brought back. That's not what he wants to do with it. So how do you give back to God? You give him your life. You give him the wheel. But you know... I want to get really practical this morning. So let's get a little bit more practical. Say you are hearing Jesus saying, give back to God what is God's. And you want to say yes this morning. Say you want to do something about this today. Not some other day, but you want to do something about it today. Maybe you're ready to give him your wallet. Maybe you're ready to supersize that and give him your life. What could you do this week? Well, let's talk money first. I think most of us could give a little more. And live on a little less. I think that's probably true for most of us. How could you go about giving God back his money? Well, here's a crazy story from my last week. Uh, I was at a conference down in England this last week. Uh, It was right up my street, uh, all about multiplying, reproducing churches. It was like super intense. Everyone was super intense and like passionate and up for it. And then then it was super practical. It was like, let's actually do these concrete things in this order. Nothing airy-fairy. Just get on with it. Brass tacks. Uh, I came back buzzing. But one of the things they had us do was to think through what would need to happen for us as a church to be ready to multiply? What would need to happen for that to be ready radically sooner? Well, I wrote down a list and it was a fairly long list actually. There's quite a lot of things we need to sort out. Um, But one of the things on the list was money. I think we're going to need quite a lot more money if we're going to multiply faster because we've got to train more people sooner. We have to bring this all in. One of the guys listening, as I presented, called me over afterwards. It was a bit weird. And uh, He gave me an envelope. He said, this is to encourage you. And uh, I didn't open it until the next day. In that envelope, um, $600 in cash, which is... uh, Apparently, he has a friend back in the States who, every time he visits, the friend gives him a set of envelopes with cash in them just to give away, to encourage uh, other people, randomly, people he runs across. And, you know, I was majorly encouraged. That, that totally worked for me. I gave the money on to church, just so you know. Um, <laughs> maybe this week, maybe you just want to take some money, set it aside in an envelope, carry it around with you, and go on an adventure. See what opportunities God gives you to just give it away. How about that for a way to make your week more exciting? Of course, you could always give it to us as a church too. Don't feel like all your cash has to go in envelopes to other people. We're, 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 planning, to, we're planning to invest more as a church. We're planning to take the next steps for preparing for growth. We're preparing for multiplication. You want to hear more about that? Come back next week to our church hub, 30 minutes. uh, Right after our morning gathering, we'll bring you up to speed. You don't have to give your money to us, but you certainly can. And you could do that week. Maybe you've never given anything to God before. Well, here is how easy it is to start. You pick up your phone or NFC-enabled device or any card you like. You walk over here and you tap this lovely device here. There we go. And you pay for your coffee. Well done, you. That's really nice of you. You probably pay for somebody else's coffee as well. It's very generous. That's how you can get started if you've never done anything like this before. 
but I need my slides back or this won't work. Maybe you've given occasionally and maybe you're ready to start giving regularly. Do you know what regular giving does to us? It helps us plan. It means we can hire people and believe we're actually going to be able to pay them afterwards. That's really, it means we can pay our bills, which seem to come on regular occasions, like heating. Um, the easiest way to give regularly is via PayPal on our website, hopecityedinburgh.org slash support us. It's pretty efficient. doesn't cost the earth. Maybe you're giving regularly, but you know what? You could give more. This passage does not give you a number a standard required to give. But we do read about people being urged to give in keeping with your income. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, that is giving a proportion of your income. What proportion would be a step up for you this week? What would be a real giving back to God? In the first part of the Bible, in the Old Testament, there's a number of times the word tithe comes up. That just means a tenth or 10%. That was considered God's share. That's probably not a bad number to aim for. I am not saying that this is a command or something you must do or anything like that, just so we're super clear. But I know lots of Christians who do aim to give away 10% of their income. My family have aimed for that from when we started earning and God's been good to us. Of course, 10% is not where you have to stop. Right? I heard about a guy trying to give away 1% more every year. I think that probably <laughs> starts fairly easily and gets kind of fairly terrifying towards the end. Right? Um, so you could get practical about giving money back this week. You could definitely do that. You could supersize that though. Get practical by giving him the wheel in your life. Perhaps, perhaps you're here and you've never actually taken that first step of saying, okay, God, here's the wheel. Perhaps you never cross that first line. It is scary. It is a big deal. It ought to be a big deal. You're giving away control of your life. That should give you cause to pause. Perhaps you're just right on the edge of that and you want to give him the wheel today. Accept him as Lord like he truly is. If you want to do that, you want to talk about it, come grab me. I'll be excited um, to do that. It's not complicated, but I want you to understand what you're getting into. So I'd walk you through that today. You could do something about it today. Maybe you already call yourself a Christian. Let me give you two really, really practical ways that you can give him the wheel even more this week. Perhaps there's somewhere where you can specifically decide to go his way this week rather than your own. We all have favorite routes from A to B, favorite route from the classroom to the lunch hall, favorite route from home to work, right? Routes that are so familiar that you just automatically steer into them. They happen like on autopilot in your life. Is there somewhere in your life where you've got a default, an autopilot that you know God doesn't love? It's just the route you take each day. just seems to happen, but you know God doesn't love that. Well, turn up your conscience today. Make the decision to turn off autopilot. Make the decision to go his way. Give him one more part of your life. Or how about this? How about committing to not grab for the wheel when it gets scary this week? Right? Maybe there's somewhere in your life where it's pretty scary right now, where you know things could get pretty serious pretty quick. How about committing to not grabbing for the wheel? Perhaps, perhaps you know you pulled away at the last moment, even in this last week. Make this week the, decide, the, the week where you decide to let him drive, even if it feels like it's right off a cliff. How about doing that this week? I don't know what that step could be, but he isn't going to crash his precious car, so do feel free to take risks in letting Jesus have control of your life. What I want you to challenge you to do today is to give back to God what is God's. So I'm going to give you a moment to reflect, and then I'm going to pray. What is God putting his finger on right now for you? Is there something 
that he is calling you to give back to him. A moment to think and then we'll pray. Lord God, we are yours, uh, whether we know it or not, whether we recognize it or not. We belong to you as our creator. Thank you that we also belong to you as our savior, as our rescuer, that you came to purchase us back when we've gone our own way with your own blood, with your own son. We belong to you. Please would you help us today to understand that, to recognize that more fully and to let that be the why for giving back to you. Please, God, today, might you help us to take a step forward in the how. God, it's a big prayer, but I pray there will be no one in this room who doesn't choose to take a step forward in giving themselves back to you this week. Help us to do that thank you that we are your treasured possession that you you bought us at a great price and you don't want to wreck us but you want to do what's good so help us to trust you